Hello and welcome to the podcast, our daily news rundown, uh, which we try to give you a bit of a glimpse of what's going on in the world. Uh, typically, it's me, David Rothkopf, and Chris Cottmore. How are you doing, Chris? Doing well, thanks. And Riley Fessler, but Riley Fessler is a little bit under the weather today, so he is not with us. Hope you get well soon, Riley. Um, I know we got a long list of stories. I want to start out with one that's little closer to home. Um, uh, and that is that Henry Kissinger uh, passed away at the age of 100 yesterday. Uh, of course, Kissinger was formerly U.S. Secretary of State uh, from 1973 to 1977. Uh, he was also U.S. National Security Advisor from uh, 1969 until uh, a brief period in which he overlapped in both jobs. Um, uh, many people think of him as the most uh, famous uh, or notorious U.S. Secretary of State uh, because he kept very busily uh, staying in the spotlight after he left office, which was almost 50 years ago. He wrote 30-odd books. Um, uh, he uh, was constantly a figure in um, uh, the media uh, and was a regular counselor to uh, U.S. presidents and other world leaders. Um, uh, clearly, there's a great deal of warranted controversy about roles that he played while he was Secretary of State, including um, uh, being directly involved in the secret uh, bombing of Cambodia, which led to more than half a million deaths and also opened the door to the bloody Pol Pot regime. Um, as well as other um, activities that that people have rightly um, raised the specter of them being war crimes or or uh, in any event uh, uh, ugly episodes in U.S. foreign policy, whether it's uh, giving the green light to uh, uh, to mass murder in East uh, Timor. Uh, uh, the green light to coups um, in Latin America or to uh, the Argentine regime uh, leading to the, 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 the disappearing of many prominent Argentine citizens. Uh, the obituaries that followed his uh, death, therefore, have been very mixed with some uh, half or more of them condemning him as a war criminal. Others uh, noting his uh, influence. Uh, I once wrote a history. I've actually written several histories of U.S. foreign policy. And uh, there was a chapter in the first one of them, uh, which is a book called Running the World, in which I referred to two degrees of Henry Kissinger, uh, which meant that between Kissinger's time and the time I wrote the book in 2005, every U.S. national security advisor um, had either worked directly for Kissinger or worked for somebody who worked directly for Kissinger, uh, thus underscoring his influence. Beyond his influence, beyond his crimes, um, he did achieve quite a bit as, as Secretary of State, and that has to be acknowledged as well, uh, whether it was advancing Middle East peace, uh, whether it was uh, seeking to negotiate an end to the Vietnam War, um, managing detente with the Soviet Union. And what I would 
reckon as his most significant achievement, which is helping to usher in an era of uh, opening and uh, dialogue between the United States and the People's Republic of China. You may condemn him, but that is the most important international relationship there is. Uh, He was actively at the center of it uh, from his time in office through now um, and played an extremely important role in that respect. Um, Chris? Uh, The latest in Israel this morning, the uh, ceasefire has been extended for one additional day, um, and they are continuing to negotiate uh, additional hostage releases as well as um, an extension of the ceasefire. The Biden administration is growing more concerned um, about the crisis and has said so. Um, specifically the humanitarian uh, impact um, and what's already happened in, uh, in Gaza. Um, you know, my hope, of course, is that negotiations um, continue to be successful, that hostages continue to be released, and that we figure out a way um, to uh, make this ceasefire last uh, beyond uh beyond today or into tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, tensions are higher than they have been uh, in this period of ceasefire and negotiations, uh, and uh, uh, expectations are dwindling uh, that this uh, ceasefire will last much longer. Uh, uh, Tony Blinken is in the region. He met this morning with the Israelis, also with um, uh, Abu Mazen, who leads the Palestinian Authority, and, uh, you know, I, it, it's clear that something, um, some path has got to be found to effective leadership for the Palestinians, uh, something that has eluded uh, them for many decades, uh, the past couple of decades, with the assistance of the uh, Israeli government. I think, however, and I say this with a lot of concern, that we're about to enter the worst period in this conflict where it's in Bibi Netanyahu's interest to prolong it, um, where Gaza is already a humanitarian catastrophe and there's a real risk of disease and famine becoming a big issue there, uh, where the objectives of the Israelis and the United States are extremely divergent, uh, where the Palestinians are without effective leadership where other countries in the region do not want to step up. Uh, And uh, this terrible um, past 50 or so days uh, could be looking at the next 50 being much, much worse. Chris? You'll recall uh, that uh, late summer there was a um, Sikh separatist that was killed in Canada in which... uh, Justin Trudeau accused the Indian government of um, ordering the hit. Well, federal prosecutors in Manhattan have revealed an assassination attempt on a lawyer at Sikhs for Justice, um, a New York-based group advocating for Punjab's independence. I find this quite disturbing um, on a number of fronts, but I, I will what is India thinking about here? Um, and are they actually involved? I mean, I think there's some, some 
questions around you know what what the what the goal is with these killings but it does not seem prudent for indian government to be uh messing around with the relationships um of canada and the united states it's weird um it's very dangerous for an important relationship our u.s collaboration with india is essential to its indo-pacific strategy to the strategy of the the quad um um uh, things have gotten uh, somewhat darker in India recently with uh, um, uh, more efforts by the nationalist Modi government uh, to target and put pressure on Muslims in that country. Uh, the relationship with, uh, uh, with India uh, is therefore uh, at some risk, and this is definitely a case to watch closely. It certainly has left the United States and Canada real, real unhappy behind the scenes. What's next? Elon Musk was at the Deal Book Summit, uh, <laughs> yeah, and where he expressed um, great remorse over his comments and also for pissing off advertisers. No, that's not what he did. No, he didn't. He basically no, he told didn't. Disney, Apple, and other large advertisers uh, to fuck off, um, which is a good strategy when you're trying to diversify uh, the revenue. Is that something we consider? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think. A- we should, at the, the DSR <laughs> network, fuck you, advertisers. No, we love our advertisers. What's more, you know what, Chris? We love Elon's advertisers. If Elon told you to fuck off yesterday, <laughs> come to us. We're much smaller, but we love you. Yeah, it's a part of his strategy. Um, tweet something uh, anti-Semitic, uh, then tell your advertisers to go fuck themselves. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I see a big rebound in, uh, in X, and the strategy seems to be working beautifully. <laughs> It's brilliant. He's a genius. He's he's really a genius. What is interesting is, you know, he put up a tweet the other day about uh, Pizzagate, you know, this kind of made up scandal that the Democrats were using a pizzeria on Connecticut Avenue in Washington to plan their uh, pedophile kidnappings and also the eating of babies. Hillary Clinton was behind that. Um, And he put up a tweet that uh, promoted this saying uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, maybe this is true. Um, uh, But he got a lot of flack, so he took it down. But the one that he put up that was anti-Semitic, he left that up. So even though he apologized yesterday, he's still on the record uh, amplifying um, uh, an uh, anti-Semitic site person uh, statement. And, um, And meanwhile, he didn't just call it the advertisers. He got pretty specific. Um, he said to Bob Iger, the head of uh, Disney, if you're in the audience, Bob, fuck you. Which, I mean, this guy needs um, to be taken off to a quiet room with a padded uh, walls uh, where his sleeves tie in the back. Um, and... Uh, uh, ideally, let somebody else run uh, Twitter. I should say, by the way, that 
his hand-picked CEO, Linda Yaccarino, came out afterwards and said, see, we're all about diversity and diverse views and what a great platform we are. As a complete toady did not take any of what he uh, the the problems he raised seriously. She's got the worst job in the world. I mean, just ju- uh, just you know, other than sort of cleaning the ketchup stains off of Donald Trump's walls, the worst job in the world. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. Um... Surely, there's something more important happening out in the world than Elon. There is, in fact, um, the beginning of the COP28 summit uh, in the UAE today. Um, There was reporting uh, that the hope was that they would be able to to get some agreement on the loss and damage fund. The loss and damage fund was raised last year uh, because developed countries contribute the most to climate change. change and climate disasters, and yet uh, developing countries bear the brunt of all of that. The Loss and Damage Fund would provide uh, funding to these countries. And again, there's hope that uh, they can come to an agreement on that. Um, We'll be, of course, watching this closely, um, given the series that we've just uh, produced, um, the second part of our latest uh, episode will go live today, and we had a part one of that panel discussion uh, that was hosted by Allison Agston, uh, went live yesterday. So um, visit the DSR feed to listen to that and to catch up on what's going on uh, in COP28, and we'll keep you posted each morning on the developments. Yes, and what we'll try to do is uh, when the thing is coming to a close, Maybe we'll get some of the people that hosted our roundtables together and we'll do another conversation among them. I know a couple of those hosts um, are actually at COP28. In fact, three out of the four. Um, so be good to have a conversation with them. Um, and uh, we'll keep tracking these issues because, you know, while we talk about what's going on in Israel and Gaza and so on and so forth, this is the biggest issue in the world, right? We've only got one planet. We're fucking it up pretty badly. And, uh, um, you know, we need to address that. And uh, uh, COP28 is the mechanism by which we do this. It does it middling well, but periodically progress is made. We need to track them. What else you got, Chris? I found this cool story um, where the... um Detroit has installed a, uh, on a one-quarter-mile stretch of road um, technology that will be able to charge electric cars um, that are either driving over the surface or sitting parked. Um, I find it cool for two reasons. One, that the technology exists to be able to do this. Um, and you know, should this test work, I think that expands greatly. Um, and the second is that Detroit is leading the way in the, you know, development of, um, of these technologies, given the dependence on, uh, on the automobile industry in Detroit. Um, it's a cool development. We'll see what happens, uh, over the next couple of years. Um, and, 
you know, earlier or late last week, my state, um, Governor Murphy, uh, indicated that by 2026, 51% of new vehicle sales would need to be electric. Um, There's a lot of work to do, by the way, because people can't just go out and buy electric cars. They're still expensive. Um, But these developments, um, you know, sort of on our way to uh, Biden's, you know, 2035, promise that all new electric or new vehicle sales will be 100% electric at that time. Um, Yeah, well, that's encouraging. And it's encouraging that Detroit is doing something on this. Um, It has been lagging uh, the world. And by Detroit, I mean the U.S. auto industry on a number of these electrification issues. Uh, The Biden administration's push in its infrastructure infrastructure package um, and in the Inflation Reduction Act for these things um, uh, is is giving more incentive for them to do the right thing. Uh, but as somebody who drives around in a city, uh, Washington, D.C., where there are giant holes in all the roads, I sure hope the people who are responsible for managing uh, electrically charged streets are not the same ones, uh, because we'll all be electrocuted to death. Um uh, in the first, uh, you know, rainstorm. Uh, so I, 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 maybe it'll, maybe it'll get us to take the streets a little bit more seriously, uh, if, and when we get there. On the other hand, the idea of putting electrification under all the streets, um, uh, or even many of them, or even some of them seems like a far off dream, uh, because I also live in a city where most of the power lines, uh, are, uh, on poles, and every time you know there's a gentle breeze, they fall down, and there's a blackout. That probably doesn't happen in New Jersey, where I think everything is far more advanced than here in Washington. Is that that right? is not right? Um, <laughs> the neighborhood across the street has their lines buried. Uh, my lines are not, and the neighborhood to my left has their lines buried. There's literally no rhyme or reason to. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, they should all be buried. Come on, folks, get with the Damn program. The lines already. <laughs> this is the, the United States. We should not be losing power every time there's a bad weather, you know, a, a, you know, outbreak. Um, uh, but uh, you know, uh, it gives us uh, something to do. I'm sure President Trump will fix all this for us. Uh, Chris, um, on that cheerful note, nice to see you. Uh, Riley, get better. We miss you. Uh, Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.